Well, hey, I want to give you all an update on what's been going on over in Windsor. Um, last spring, we as a church made a decision to go out and to the, introduce this Let Love Live uh, message of the gospel to people all over the world. And our first step in that was planting a church in, in Windsor. And we were sent out in, in um, 2011. We launched what we call the Timberline Going Campaign. And we had this brochure that was printed. You can grab these over at guest services if you haven't seen this. But the going campaign was really the reality that our God is a traveling God. And he's a going God. And yet he invites us into his story to go with him. And as I've had the opportunity to plant this church over the last 10 months, I've realized that God has been working in the community of Windsor long before we ever planted a church there. That we started our services last Christmas Eve, so December 24th is our birthday, which is a pretty good day to have as a birthday. And so we launched our services on Christmas Eve last year, and we had no idea what to expect. We had three services planned and really had no idea who was going to come. And over 1,200 people showed up our very first day. And it was awesome, and it was wonderful to be a part of. But I do have to tell you, driving home, you're supposed to be pretty energized and excited about Christmas Eve. And I went home scared to death when I saw all those people there and my wife and I were talking and what in the world did Derry get us into over in Windsor. But we've had a lot of fun. If you were here last spring when we launched the Going Campaign, you know we talked a whole lot about the Great Commission. Jesus told his followers to go into all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and to make disciples. And we as a church, I'm happy to tell you that Timberline Church as a whole is doing that, not only here in Fort Collins, at Timberline Old Town, but also now in Windsor, in Weld County, across the freeway. I want you to know that we've had a handful of people that were a part of Timberline here in Fort Collins that have gone with us. And I remember having a conversation with Derry, and we were talking about, you know, we're not too sure we want to plant this church and spend this money and these resources and this time to plant a church to make it more convenient for people that are already a part of Timberline to just be able to go to church. But what we said is we want to mobilize and train and equip those people that are part of our church to go and to fulfill the Great Commission in their neighborhoods, in their jobs, and in their families. And it's been happening, and it's been so much fun to watch. You know, we've had in our, first, in our first 10 months, we've baptized almost 75 people over at Timberline Windsor. We have, we have baby dedications almost weekly. And last week, we had a baby dedication. There was a family that wanted to wait a few months for their baby dedication so their family could join them. However, he's in the military, and he was being deployed. He actually got deployed this last Friday. And so last week, we gathered on the platform over at Timberline Windsor. We dedicated this baby. What was cool is after the service, how many people in our church came around this young mom who's going to be caring for this young life over, uh, for the course of a year. And it's amazing to watch God bring, bring, this, bring this little church together. I want to tell you a quick story. And this is a story that has really galvanized our church community. There's a young couple by the name of J.D. and Kelsey Rosenoff, and they're dear friends of mine. They've been a part of our young adult ministry when I was leading young adults here. And uh, she teaches at Windsor High School. He's in school at UNC studying to be an elementary school teacher. And, and, and she's pregnant, and she was having a baby, and they were all excited. When she was 24 weeks pregnant, she went into preterm labor, and so she had to deliver and so they transported her down to St. Luke's down in Denver. And they had this little baby, this little life that was sitting there in the hospital. And our church family came around this couple. They invest in the lives of the children in our Timber Kids area. In our church family, there were cards, there were meals, people were writing checks because J.D. is still in school. And he'd have to travel down every single day after school to go visit Kelsey and their little baby, Bennett Rosenoff. 
Well, one Saturday, I get a phone call from J.D. saying, you know, Bennett's not doing well. He took a little turn for the worse, and he's got an infection. So we got up on the platform that next Sunday, and we prayed for this young life. We prayed for J.D. and Kelsey. And on that platform, we, we said that we couldn't wait for the day that we were going to dedicate this young boy to the Lord. Well, unfortunately, a week later, Bennett Rosenoff passed, and he went to go be with Jesus. And again, this, this, this little life has impacted our church because people flooded that memorial service. People that had never even met J.D. and Kelsey in person, but had been praying for them. And again, the cards, the gift cards, the, the, the checks were written, meals were being provided for this family. And it was an incredible way to watch the church come together as a church. And at that memorial service, we realized that we were able to dedicate Bennett into the Lord's arms. But yet, I told J.D. and Kelsey what, what Bennett has done. God has used this story to galvanize the community of this church. We're a church that primarily the teaching on the weekend is done through video, that we have our same teaching team here as shown over in Windsor. And one of the things that I tell people is, you know, we choose not to call ourselves a video venue. We choose not to call ourselves a satellite venue. Because the reality is venue is nowhere in the Bible. We're a local church plant of Timberline Church because a church isn't determined on the teaching style. A church is determined on its community. And that's what we have learned with Bennett Rosenoff. That's what we learned when people come together as a church. When we launched the going campaign right here in this, in this booklet, we said that it's going to take work, it's going to take people, it's going to take finances, and it's going to take networking. And we want to, I want to personally say thank you for doing all of those things because as a church, we've come together and we've done those four things. And now God is blessing and some neat things are happening. I want you to know that we have over 12,000 square feet of space in a little church building. We had over 1,200 people at Christmas Eve, hundreds of kids in our Timber Kids environment. After two weeks of holding services, we had to go to two services right away. For Easter, we had over 700 people that showed up for our Easter services. We had five services for Easter. And I share those numbers with you because every single person that's represented there has a name. Every single person represented in those numbers is a son, a daughter, a grandson, a granddaughter, a mother, somebody that's connected with somebody else and has been prayed for to come to receive this message of the gospel. And we felt like as a church, Timberline as a whole, we felt it was fair to you to come back and to let you know, first of all, what God is doing there and want to share with you some of the great things that were happening. We also want to let you know where we are financially because last, last spring, spring of 2011, we launched a two-year campaign to raise $2 million. And so we're a, little bit, we're a little bit more than halfway there. And so we want to let you know that we need to raise an additional $900,000 as we finish out our going campaign. You'll see behind me, there's an image that shows you the $2 million mark and then where we're at right now, where just over a million dollars has come in. Isn't that amazing? Over a million dollars has come in because you believe in the gospel. You believe in Jesus changing lives. If you were a part of the going campaign and you filled out one of these faith promise cards, I want to say thank you for being faithful and following through with this. We so appreciate it. We also know some of you weren't here last spring or maybe weren't in a position to be able to join the going campaign and be a part of what God is doing. And if you want, there's these little green cards in the chair back in front of you. Go ahead and fill that out. And then later on, you can drop that off in the offering plate. And we love to have you partner with us as a church. Last thing I just want to say, I just have some thank yous. Thank you for believing in Jesus. Thanks for believing that Jesus is the hope of the world. Thanks for believing in the local church and planting other local churches. And beyond that, my wife and I want to say thank you for believing in us and sending us out to be a part of this great adventure of what God is doing through Timberline. So thank you so much, church. We appreciate it. Thank you, Pastor Reza. We love you.
Thank God for you. So cool. It's so fun to see churches born. Just, it's, it's just like little babies. That happened to be a pretty big baby. Uh, <laughs> so thank you for giving. Continue to give if you've already made a faith promise. We uh, are counting on that to make it all happen. And if you want to fill out a card and help us. You know, it's funny. We plant churches all around the world. We support missionaries. And it's wonderful to do it right in our backyard. And our goal is to continue to do this. Uh, to plant new churches over this next decade. So thanks, you guys, for caring. Hey, we get to do something else that's kind of fun before we dive into the teaching today, and that is pray over a, a, a trip, a missions trip, of people that are going to Guatemala on Thursday. I'm going to ask them to come on up here just for a second. We're just going to pray for them, ask God to use them. I love the fact that this church is about, it's about going, it's about giving, it's about praying, and so uh, would you mind just standing one more time just out of honor and respect if you're able to do so? And let's just pray for every service. We've had different people from the team in Guatemala, larger numbers, smaller numbers, and I really appreciate you guys. Way to go. And uh, we're excited to have you go and get home safely. But are you excited? Oh, Feeling yeah. good? Ready to go. How many of you, it's your first time to go to Guatemala? One, two, three. Okay, good. You just may not ever come back. You might fall in love with it. Who knows? But would you join me? Lord, thank you for this team. We're so proud of them. I just thank you for these young people who are saying, amen. And you have put it on their hearts to go, to trust. Thank you for the financial commitment they've made to do this. Thank you, God, that you use us, our inadequacies, our strengths, and you spend us in the kingdom of God. That's what it's all about. So thank you today that we've heard about a church being planted. Now we're sending out. Help this team to realize they're not just going, but they're being sent by those who are holding the ropes at home. Let them trust those ropes. We pray over them. Bring them home safely, radically changed in their heart and mind for your glory. And everyone said, amen. amen. Say thanks to those who are going on your behalf. Thanks, you guys. You can be seated. Thank you. It really is fun to be able to send people out. and They represent you. So thank you for that. Okay. Let's dive in. Take out your bulletin. Go to the back page. I want to talk to you today about the power of influence. The power of influence. What does it mean to have influence in your life? First of all, every one of you has influence with someone. Some people more than others, but you have influence. I, I think it was John Maxwell who originally said, uh, leadership is simply influence. And I think there's a lot of truth in that statement. How are you going to use your influence? I think Jesus was the most influential man that's ever walked on the earth. We're still talking about his stories. It's amazing. I want you to just think about, think about someone or two or three names of people in your life that when you were a kid growing up, they really influenced you in whatever way. But can, you, can you go back and think, that person really could be a teacher? How many of you can think of someone's name? Okay, just say it out to me. Just say their name. Yeah, see, it, it, all these different names. You're thinking of someone. You're visualizing them. You know, I, I thought of my mom and dad immediately, my grandpa, my grandma, uh, other family members. I thought of other teachers I've had, people in the church uh, that I grew up in. I, I, was, I was influenced by people. And here's, the, here's where I want to take this before we get into the outline itself. I'm, I'm, I'm betting that you did not think of that person because of how much money they made or because of how tall they were or short they were or big or little they were. 
It probably wasn't even how educated they were. What would be the factor as to why you picked them? As to why they influence you? It was probably because they had qualities and traits that you could look up to. There's, there's a respect there, and there's time committed to you. There's love. You felt something from them that allowed you to engage in learning or care, and that's why they influence you. How can we do that with other people in our world? That's where I want to go today. Number one in your outline, <laughs> I'm going to warn you, these first two points are radical. Our leadership and influence have consequences, okay? Just write that down. Think about this. Your leadership, your influence have consequences. It could be great results. Your leadership could, could bless you. It could also curse you, depending on how you use your influence. We, we pick it up from last week. If you were here last weekend, remember when Jesus brought the child to himself? The disciples are sitting around. They had been arguing over who was the greatest. And then he says, you know, the greatest is going to be first. And then he brings this child and said, those who welcome a child. In Jesus' culture, they did not adore their children. The Aramaic word for servant is the same word as child. So kids were basically raised to serve their families, to work hard, to help provide for the family. It was an interesting culture. But Jesus pulls this child over and says, anyone who welcomes a child like I am, that's what the kingdom looks like. So we pick it up. Mark chapter 9, verse 42. Leave your Bibles open. We're going to go verse by verse. But if you cause one of these little ones, he's going back to the child analogy, who trusts in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone hung around your neck. <laughs> okay. I think the disciples are going, wow. Okay, well, that's, that's a lot. I don't want to live by the sea very much in my life. Think about how that impacted them. Gee, this is pretty radical. And, and I started thinking about um, what is it like to lead someone into sin? How could I lead someone into sin? And Jesus is being really blunt here. He uses the word sin multiple times in this text. And I just got to stop here and say this. We're in a culture right now that hates the word sin. Political correctness is trying to get people like me as pastors and leaders to not talk about sin. Because after all, who knows what's right and wrong? Sin, 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 sin. Say it with me. Sin. There is such a thing as sin. Now, I'm not mean about it. I'm not mad about it. And I don't want to get in your face about it. I love you. As a brother and a sister, we must talk about how sin impacts our world. Or we don't really love each other. We don't really care. Just wait till the next point. It's really brutal. So I started asking the question, how could we lead someone into sin? And I just put two or three little bullet points down in, in my notes. I put by committing sin. You think that's true? You think you could lead someone into sin by you committing sin yourself? I do. Because they're seeing you. You're an example. People are watching you. Another one I put down is by condoning sin. You know, even if you are not participating, the fact that you aren't speaking up, the fact that you're not saying anything, you're kind of condoning, well, that's just kind of the culture we live in. It's just kind of how it is. 
Um, and then there, there are some people who actually encourage others to sin. You know, let's go rob the bank. Let's go do this. Let's sell drugs. Let's on and on and on it goes. So there's an encouragement to come along and do stuff that is not only illegal but, but sin. I, if you're a parent, how many of you are, are parents? You know, raising kids is just a huge thing. My, my kids, they're grown now. Bonnie and I raised three kids, and my, uh, my kids laugh about this now because when they turned 18, I, like, sat them down and had the talk, like, okay, I'm done. I'm done. I'm cutting you off. You're going to be working. You're going to help you with college. Mom and I agree on that. But you are on your decisions you make. It's your life. It's your deal. Uh, that's it. You know, my, my son said to me one time, Dad, it kind of sounded like you wanted us to get out of there. I said, I did. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. We love our kids. We're like best friends. But there is something about that marker. Then you, once you have kids, you realize you sort of always are in the process of helping them, right? And then they sort of help raise us too. But you have a huge responsibility. Your kids are watching you. Bonnie, Bonnie and I have so enjoyed these last couple of years. We've gotten into listening, when, especially when we go somewhere on a trip, listening to country music. I've never listened to country music before. How many of you listen to it? It's just fun. It's just so fun. I mean, there are some of the funniest stories. They write about stuff that is just, it's anything, right? I mean, something about a truck. I mean, it's just... It's just whatever it is, they're just, whatever it is, you name it. They're, well, there's this song that I heard the other day by Rodney Atkins, and I don't even know what he looks like, but that's his name, called I'm Watching You. Have you ever heard this? And it's this little boy who's four, and they're in the car, and his dad has to hit the brakes at a stoplight, and this little four-year-old says this cuss word. And his dad looks over at him and says, where did you learn to talk like that? And he says, I've been watching you, Dad. The chorus goes in and it says, he said, I've been watching you, Dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you. And eat all my food and grow as tall as you are. We got cowboy boots and camo pants. Yeah, we're just alike. Hey, ain't we, Dad? I want to do everything you do, so I've been watching you. His dad goes out to the barn, takes a knee and says, God, you got to help me with this. The very end of the song, he has his son get down on his knee and say a prayer. And then he says, where'd you learn to pray like that, son? And he says, I've been watching you, Dad. Boy, you and I have a responsibility because people are watching our lives. And people learn by what they see us do and our actions, not just our words. Number two. Okay, you ready? Put your seatbelt on. This gets pretty radical. Get radical about dealing with your sin. The Bible's about to make one of the most astounding statements, and we've got to unpack it a little bit or it'll get really weird on us. Verse 43. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand than to go into the unquenchable fires of hell with two hands. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one foot than to be thrown into hell with two feet. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It's better to enter the kingdom of God with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the maggots never die and the fire never goes out. 
wow. Can we have an amen? Yeah, this is, this, is, this is getting right down to it. This is pretty rough. Now, a couple of things theologically that we have to talk about. First of all, the Bible does not teach self-mutilation. Jesus is using, which was common in his day, something so big on the exaggeration side that it would create a gasp. It's, it's like trying to make an impact so big that you're going to say it as big as possible. Jesus did not literally mean go cut off your hand, go gouge out your eye. Um, that would not be Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. There are people in history, if you read church history, you'll come across a guy by the name of Oregon who took this literally and castrated himself. Very sad. His dad was actually a martyr, and he had a tough childhood, but he also would never sleep in a bed because Jesus, you know, says he never had a place to lay his head, and so he would never lay down and lay his head because he was trying to be like Jesus. Um, I do take the Bible literally, but I know when there are metaphors, and I know when there are points that are trying to be made. When Jesus says, I am the door, it doesn't mean he becomes a slab of wood with a knob on it. There are, there are really important rules about interpreting the Bible. So, so having said that, let's just go right into this. What do we do with sin? If it's that radical, if Jesus wants us to be, it's an in-your-face stuff, then how can we deal with ourselves in a radical way to say, I'm not going to let sin wreck my life? Now, it's really important that when you define sin, you define it according to this book. I grew up in a fairly legalistic church where going to a movie was a sin. How many of you grew up in something like that? A few of you. And so it was a challenge. You know, ladies wearing makeup was a sin. And you know, I'm so glad I can wear makeup now. It's just, we've come a long way. There are so many issues that culturally were defined as sin. So we have to be careful that we're dealing with absolutes in Scripture. So having said that, what am I going to do with sin? One of the things I see people do with sin, and it's not the right one, is to deny it. It's just the self-denial. I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. I'm okay, you're okay. We're all okay. We're all okay. God's a loving God. He understands. I'm okay, you're okay. All roads lead to heaven. No, they don't. It's really important that we get that right. And, and we have to pay attention to that. Um, another thing we do is rationalize it. Some people who aren't in total denial just sort of have this rationalization that says, well, it's not as bad as him. It's not as bad as that. Well, it could be worse. Or they just tolerate it. That's another thing that I see happening. Well, it's just who I am. I just can't help it. It's like something takes me over and I just do this thing. And that's not true. That's not biblical. Jesus can help you with your sin. There's one thing you can do with sin. You know what it is? Confess it. That's the winner. That's what you need to do with sin. And here's the best news of all. When you do that, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. That's what the Bible promises. We confess we say these words. It's because, here's why. Jesus paid the price. Jesus died on the cross so that we could confess our sin and be clean and be righteous in standing with God, in good standing with God. Praise God for that. So we're not left down here on this earth mulling around in our sin. There is victory, but there will always be temptation, and this will be an ongoing journey in your life. 
And you got to win these victories. you got to win these battles. And you can do it by taking notice of it and paying attention to it. There's not much God can do if you don't confess your sin. Well, I don't call it sin. Well, you're going to have a hard time then because I don't know what else you're supposed to do with it. Let's look at the next point. Number three, come back next week. I'll be nicer, I promise. Um, we will all face challenges. The Bible teaches it like it is, you guys. And this, is, this is one of those passages where Jesus, he's about to throw in this little statement in light of what he's just said. And it's in verse 49, and he says this, for everyone will be tested with fire. In other words, get rid of sin, do everything in your power, confess it, but you've got to know you are going to deal with this and you are going to be tested with fire. What does it mean to be tested with fire? Boy, just in a physical sense, we know about fire around here, don't we? From June, um, we know the devastation it can bring. But we say sometimes, man, I'm, I'm in the furnace. Or I'm being tested with fire. What does that mean? It means there's something going on in our lives that we don't fully understand. And it's hard. And it's a challenge. And it's a mountain I've got to climb. And I started thinking about... Just the things that test me by fire. The things that might be testing you by fire right now. And I won't spend a ton of time here, but I'm going to mention a few because I want to deal with them theologically. Number one would be life circumstances. You live in the world. You do not live in the kingdom of God yet. How many of you have noticed that this ain't heaven? Okay, okay. You, that's, here's, here's why this is important. Christians get so deceived by, you know, I'm having a hard time. Where is God? I'm so, you're in the world. You're going to have a hard time forever. This is, this is the earth, and you need to know that you're going to have, have the battle. Circumstances are real, and they're challenging. And it's not because God's ticked off at you, and he's letting all this stuff pile up on your life. It's because you live in the world. It rains on the just, it rains on the unjust. And that's just how it is. So I have to have a mindset that wakes up in the morning knowing some bad stuff could happen to me today because I live in the world. I could get hit by a truck if I'm not careful. That isn't God's fault. It's the fact that I don't live in a place that's free of the rules of gravity at this point in my life. Neither do you. So circumstances when they come, I think of health issues. I have a good friend right now who just diagnosed with cancer. It's just a challenging thing. I don't understand it. It's shocking and, and it's aggressive. And you just go, Lord, where, where does this come from? Where are you in this? And I'll tell you, trials that, that test us, they're fiery. And I've said this before, but people either run to God or they run from God. Which are you? Because you're going to be tested. You're going to be tested. And I want to have that anchor so deep in my life that even the, the challenges I have, the fear I might have, the humility I might walk with, I want, I'm going to run to God because I know he loves me and I know he's going to help me through it. Money problems are a huge test by fire for people. Either too much or not enough. If you don't have enough, you want more. If you have more, you still want more. <laughs> right? You have more, you spend more. It just, it just goes on and on and on and on. And, and money problems can be a test by fire. How will you steward what's already in your hand? That's the question I need you to deal with today. That's what Jesus is talking about. And then relationship issues. My goodness. Is there anyone in here that's married? 
<laughs> Have you ever had an issue in your marriage? A couple of you? <laughs> now, some of you are just saying marriage is the issue. A lot of single people in our church who have either been married or want to be married again, and, and uh, it's, it's a challenge. I love my marriage. We have a great marriage, but it's still a challenge. And relationships that come out of that, when you have kids and you have best friends and you have parents and you have family members, it, it gets complicated. You can be tested with fire through relationships. How are you going to respond to be in the likeness of Christ, to have the mind of God? How will you be gentle? How will you nurture that, that spirit in your soul? Okay, I, I just need to move on. Number four, how do we preserve and protect our heart and mind? Now, the reason I use preserve and protect is because Jesus is about to make a statement about salt. Yes, salt, like the kind you put on your steak. Well, you shouldn't be doing that, by the way. How many of you are pepper people? Yeah, yeah, that's kind of me. But salt, he, he says this in verse 50. Salt is good for seasoning. But if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? You must have the qualities of salt among yourself. What is he talking about? He's saying if you lo have lost your saltiness in the sense that your life is so bland that there's no impact in the culture you live in, something's wrong. How do you get back to that place where you can preserve? Salt in this day was used for flavoring, but also to preserve meats. It's still used for that today, for, to protect stuff. How do we preserve and protect our mind? How do we have enough salt in a spiritual sense? We, people say they're not worth their salt. It's, it's the idea to say there's something in us. We are wired to have godly traits that clash in this world we live in. It doesn't mean we get mean or angry. It means we have a different set of principles that we live by. And we trust those. And God helps us and encourages us. Our thinking becomes really important. Be strong in your thinking. Be strong in who you are becoming. The, the last main point in your outline is this. And I love finishing with this. Perhaps our greatest influence Perhaps the greatest thing Jesus says is the next line. After he talks about salt and how we're different from the world, he gives one quality and one trait that says it all. Look at this. And live in peace with each other. He's talking to his disciples. They've just been arguing about who of them is the greatest. <laughs> live in peace with each other. You know, I really hope you'll think hard about that. What should mark a church? The fact that we walk in unity and we have peace among ourselves. Wouldn't it be amazing if the world said, you know, I don't agree with all those Christians, but one thing I know, they sure have peace among themselves. There's sure a lot of love in that family. Why isn't that said a little more often? I have a friend in the South who was laughing about something the other day not picking on Baptists because we had a guy on our, our pastoral team, Roy Plummer, who was a credentialed Baptist minister, and he's, he, he told me one time, he said, God loves those Baptists. And I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, he sure made a lot of them. <laughs> I thought that I always remembered that. I thought that was cute. But 
I was talking to a pastor who, in the South. He lives in a town where there are four churches that have all split on one church, and the names of them are First Baptist, Second Baptist, Third Baptist, and Fourth Baptist. And it's kind of like, if we don't like this, we're going to go do our own thing. And you guys, the kingdom of God is bigger than that. You're not going to agree with everybody in here on politics or on other stuff, but that's not the bond that keeps us together. The bond that keeps us together is the Spirit of God, the breath of Jesus, the life, the pneuma of God. That's what we want, the wind of the Spirit that sows a seed of peace. Don't let anger and fear drive you in this political climate. Submit yourself to God. Pray about how you can be involved. Do what he puts in your heart. Love and respect and care for the church and for your brothers and sisters. You know what we're called scripturally? The bride of Christ. Or his wife. Think of that. It's so powerful. Let's love the groom. I put a checklist. I'm going to bullet through these really fast. Get ready to write them down. Checklist of qualities that, are, that, are, that I need to keep with me this week. Okay? Number one, responsibility with others. I want to live responsibly with the, the influence God has given me. And I want you to do the same thing. Use your power and influence in a way that glorifies God. Not just in a way that someone else wants you to use it. Sometimes they want to use yours because they've already burnt all theirs. It's really important. Walk with integrity. How do I love and respond and lead people in the matters of God? Number two, accountability with self. Accountability with self. And this has to do with that stuff of saying, will I... Will I, will I walk in the holiness of God? Will I be brutal with myself when it comes to my own sin, my own tendencies? We all have tendencies towards certain lifestyles that are not going to please God. But that's where I, I, I don't let that flesh win. I surrender my body to God. I die to self and I say, Lord, I want to live for you. I want you to take my whole life. So accountability. And you guys, that can't just happen with just you. It takes other people in your life. That's part of the journey and then the last thing is a spirit that builds bridges, um, not walls. Do I have a spirit in my soul that, that builds bridges to people, even if they hate me, even if they don't agree with me, even if they're not even a follower of Christ? How can I build bridges? You know why Jesus got put on a cross and put to death was because he built bridges with publicans and sinners. They liked him. It was the religious crowd that had him killed. That's sad. Why? Because they didn't recognize his love and his kindness and his grace. We have a mission on the earth. Let's live it out. Let's trust God. Let's be brutal with our own sins. And let's let bridges be built to people and communities where we can take them on a truth journey according to the laws of this book. Gently and kindly and in grace. That's what it's about. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. I'm just touched by this. I, I need more of you, Lord. I need your spirit in my life. I pray for us as a church that we will absolutely get these things right, that we will pay attention to what you have told your disciples and now through your word have told us today. Make deposits in us. Let us chew on this this week. With heads bowed in, in both these auditoriums, I want to just say, would you deal with sin in your life? Don't deny it. Don't just let it go. But if the Spirit of God is knocking on your heart and there's some stuff you need to... Look, come in brokenness. 
Don't get angry and say, well, that, no, die to that. The Lord wants to help you with that. He, he's not just ticked off. He wants to help you. Confess it right now. Just say it. I'm not going to have you raise your hand because it could be all of us. What, what's the stuff you need to say, Lord, forgive me, I'm sorry. I know there's stuff in my life. I, I've... And then with that, I want you to just acknowledge something, that this is not going to be a one-minute fix, and all of a sudden you're going to walk out of here and never deal with that again. It can be under the blood and forgiven, but without building accountability structures in your life, this isn't going to stick today. It just isn't. And so I want you to think about who, are, who is the one or a couple of people that you're going to bring around you. Maybe you're going to open up in your small group this week. Maybe you're going to talk to someone you really believe in and trust. And I would say, be careful who you talk to about this. It does matter. But have some people around you. They'll love you more when you tell them. It's amazing what happens when you're vulnerable. That's why I love Celebrate Recovery on Thursday nights. That people are just so vulnerable and open and honest. And you go, wow, that's refreshing. There's no hidden agenda here. This is who I've been. This is where I'm going. God's helping me. Lord, give us the strength to do this and to be on that journey with openness. And lastly, help us to be a team player. How will we influence people to make a difference in the world? Help us to build bridges, not walls. For the glory of God, we pray. Give us wisdom and discernment in this crazy culture we're in. And everyone said, amen. I'm going to ask our prayer team who are here to come and just be available up front. Some of you might just want to pray with someone right now before you walk out of here. Lots of tables in the mall, and I really want to see you at Summit. If you're fairly new to Timberline or you've never been, we would love to connect with you and have a great night together. Otherwise, I want you to remember to let love live. As you're out and about in this community, let's build the bridge. And remember, most of all, the service starts now. God bless you. I love you. Go in his grace. Come on up and let us pray for you.